0: The First War for Armageddon Though many in the Imperium are aware of the Second and Third Wars for Armageddon, only a select few have any knowledge of the first. All official records of the event were expunged from Imperial files by an administratum desperate to contain the truth. The humanity faces threats more dire than the average Imperial citizen could possibly comprehend. Such knowledge, it is feared, would surely cast the superstitious and paranoid worlds of the Imperium into anarchy and ruin. Such information that can be recovered concerning the events of the First War is only to be found in the dustiest corners of the crumbling archives and data vaults of the Adeptus Administratum. And to possess such knowledge is to invite the retribution of the Ordo Malleus. Armageddon lies some 10,000 light years to the galactic northeast of Terra, in the regions bordering the Segmentum Solar and the Segmentum Obscurus. Classified a hive world by the Administratum and subject to the highest tithe grades, Armageddon is the industrial hub of not just the Armageddon subsector, but the entire region. Worlds, for light years around, rely on the industrial output of the immense hive cities, and few worlds, other than Necromunda, can compete with it in terms of the sheer magnitude of goods produced. The cost of millennia of industry is a world reduced to a barren waste, where few can prosper outside the massive hive cities so ravaged by overmining and pollution is the surface of Armageddon, that no food can be produced and clean air is a valued commodity. The industrial cartels import a staggering quantity of foodstuffs each year, and the noble families reap the profits of their exploitation of tens of millions of workers. Under this regime, many muttered of liberation, of challenging the status quo, and finding justice for the countless souls bound to the gargantuan industrial machine of Armageddon. demagogues whispered words of dissent and soon agent provocateurs called openly for revolution. Civil unrest became rife and the planetary defence force was forced to violently suppress its own people with alarming frequency. An Administratum Census of the day records that this was the state of the hive world of Armageddon at the middle of the third century of the 41st millennium, a world in the throes of insurrection and disorder, ripe for the attentions of the ruinous powers. The Bellum Chaotica, penned in the century following the war by the anonymous heretic archivists of the Gafsamine Reclusium, states that in 499 M41, the demon prince Angron, primarch of the World Eater's Traitor Legion, raised a mighty horde of mutants, demon hosts, and renegades. Surrounded by a host of summoned demons and attended by his chosen World Eater's berserkers, Angron and his army vomited for from the Eye of Terror. Taking advantage of the drifting space hulk devourer of stars, Angron and his unholy army closed on Armageddon. The Hulk emerged from the warp in the furthest reaches of the Armageddon system and was immediately detected by the outermost monitoring stations. As it drifted through the outer regions, system defense craft were scrambled from the St. Joan's Dock Naval Facility and made contact with the Hulk as it passed the world of Pellucidar on the fifth day after its arrival. The ship's crews saw their doom as they closed with the gargantuum space hulk, but nonetheless attempted to stall its approach and provide the defenders on Armageddon time to prepare for the coming invasion. Thousands died in the battles against the Devourer of Stars, and their names are engraved upon the marble pillars of the Hall of Martyrs on St. Joan's dock. But the attack was not in vain, for it blasted free the propulsion unit of an ancient space vessel that formed part of the Devourer of Stars' enormous bulk. A section the size of a small city slowly tore loose from the mass of the Hulk, disgorging a wave front of plasma fire and incinerating thousands of Angron's troops as it spiralled away, caught by the gravity of nearby Pellucidar. The drive unit broke up in the atmosphere, shedding a hideous cocktail of fuels and millennia of warp-spawned toxins. The atmosphere of Pellucidar was seeded with toxic death, and only the hardy subterranean jungles of the cavern world survived the initial pollution. The inhabitants perished within a year, their minds destroyed by the taint of the warp, their bodies poisoned by the radioactive waste, and Pellucidar remains quarantined to this day. Without the ancient drive section, Angron's servants evidently struggled to influence the course of the vast hulk, and its arrival at Armageddon was delayed by at least a month. The sacrifice of the system defense crews and the people of Pellucidar have brought the forces of Armageddon valuable time to prepare for the inevitable invasion. Despite the sacrifice of the Imperial Navy, the Devourer of Stars quickly overcame Armageddon's orbital defenses, and Angron's forces were soon in a position to begin their landings. With the Space Hulk's arrival, treachery reared its ugly head within the hives of Armageddon, and the seditious elements of the population were revealed as followers of the Dark Powers. The recently uncovered memoirs of Lord General Gustav Carlson II recorded that nearly half of the planetary defense force turned on their fellows, their ranks swollen by hordes of cultists. Carlson, chief of staff of the Armageddon Secundus Command Guard, reacted with swift and unforgiving efficiency, eliminating those units he could not absolutely rely on. His counterpart on Armageddon Prime was slower to react and fought in vain to regain control as anarchy and mayhem swept through the hives of Armageddon Prime. Where the defenders should have been able to mount a well-prepared defence, the trench lines and bastions were the site of vicious battles between erstwhile brothers-in-arms. Angron's forces made their planetfall all but uncontested, and within a week, all-out war raged in and around every hive on Armageddon Prime, the death toll spiralling beyond comprehension. Demons rampaged through the Factory and Hab districts, while mutants and renegades unleashed their feral wrath upon innocent civilians. Traitor Titan legions stalked the Ash Wastes, where loyalist princeps fought a desperate rearguard action. The only hope for the defenders was to fall back towards the equatorial jungles, an attempt to consolidate in Armageddon Secundus. As the last of the Imperial forces withdrew towards Armageddon Secundus, they left behind them a land ruled by the demonic and the insane. Makeshift abattoirs were constructed, and the blood of Angron's victims was offered up to the blood god. The last units to stagger from the ash wastes reported the land behind them littered with bones, and the polluted rivers choked with the blood spilled in the name of corn. According to the heretic archivist, warp-storms of terrifying magnitude surged with power around the Armageddon system at this time, and the sheer scale of the slaughter lent power to Angron and the demons of his horde. But such power is fleeting, and as the warp-storms began to abate, so too did his power diminish. Unless the demon Primarch could find a way of establishing a permanent link to the Immaterium to draw the energy necessary to sustain his army, all his plans would be undone. Unable to continue without the strength of the warp to empower him, Angron's advance stalled amidst the deepest jungles of the equatorial belt. The demonic Primarch ordered the construction of a huge monolith through which his armies could draw the power needed to sustain their existence in the material universe. The construction of the megalithic structure took many weeks, and thousands died in its building. Thousands more were butchered in cruel ceremonies of consecration, and the jungle withered for miles around as the corrupting power of chaos was drawn into the arcane construction. Diabolical energies flooded the Chaos Horde as dark power pulsed through the monolith, but the time spent in its construction had delayed Angron's advance for several weeks, and the Imperial defenders did not waste the brief reprieve they had been given. Angron's Horde erupted from the equatorial jungles and surged south, the bulk of his army seeking to engage the Imperial defenders holding the line at the River Cheron, but the defenders had used the time afforded by Angron's delay wisely. The invaders found themselves facing well-dug-in troops, reinforced by the recently-arrived Space Wolves, who had answered Armageddon's cry for help from their nearby homeworld of Fenris. Well, reasonably nearby. Ill-prepared for such a starward defence, the Chaos Hordes broke against the impregnable defence lines, and wave after wave was repulsed. It is said at the battle's conclusion, the mighty Cheron was choked with the mutilated bodies of mutants and traitors, but the war for Armageddon was far from over. To the west, Angron himself led an attack towards Infernus and Hell's Reach Hives, smashing the Imperial defences wide open as he did so. Entire companies of Angron's most insane world-eaters berserkers rampaged through the redoubts and trench lines defending the approach to the Hives and Angron prepared to deliver the decisive blow to the beleaguered defenders. Logan Grimnar, the commander of the Space Wolves, had one last force to commit. Though new to his post as chapter master, Grimnar was far from inexperienced in combating the Servants of Chaos, and upon his arrival on Armageddon, had immediately requested the aid of the chamber militant of the Auto Malius, Given the scale of Angron's invasion, An entire company of Grey Knight Terminators was assembled, a formation only ever committed to battle under the most desperate of circumstances. The account of the battle itself is sealed within the unbreachable vaults of the Ordo Malleus, but it is known that the Grey Knights teleported directly into the midst of Angron's host. It is said that a dozen bloodfirs attended the Demon Primarch, forming a bodyguard no mortal could hope to defeat. The Horizon. Burned the colour of blood, as though the sky itself was on fire. The jungles of Armageddon were ablaze, turning the darkness of the night into hateful, orange-lit day. Logan Grimnar, chapter master of the Space Wolves, breathed deeply, tasting the toxins in the air with every breath and running a dirt-and-blood-encrusted hand through his mane of unkempt blonde hair. He stared at the crater-marked hell that stretched out from the edge of the front line. The stench of rotting corpses mingled with the reek of burning fuel, and his eyes stung from the noxious black smoke coiling lazily upwards from the burning vehicles the enemy had lost in the fighting. Too few, he whispered. Too few. His practiced eye surveyed the barren expanse of the ash wastes on the far bank of the river Charon, easily picking out the hated icons of the Blood God, swaying in the cold northern wind amidst the enemy camp. Bodies floated in the river, so many a man might cross without wetting his feet. Their eyeless skulls turned up to face the firelit sky. He marched along the length of the defensive wall, His dented and scored Terminator armour, groaning as the damaged fibre bundle muscles in the left thigh, fought to match his pace. A careless parry had allowed a demon's axe to bite a hand's breadth into his armour. It was only one of a dozen wounds he had suffered in this campaign thus far, but the armour had suffered greatly, and though the artificers had done their best, there was not the time for the repairs it deserved. He only hoped the armor's battle spirit would understand and not fail at a crucial moment. Grimnar stopped at an embrasure in the parapet and gripped the edges of the wall. The parapet was nearly twenty meters high and sturdily constructed by the men and women of the Departmento Munitorum Engineer Corps. Not nearly as strong or as high as he would have liked, but he knew they were lucky to have it at all. The demon Primarch's inexplicable delay in crossing the equatorial jungles had given them the time they so desperately needed to regroup and reorganize the demoralized Imperial forces. In the distance, nearly a hundred kilometers to the east, Grimnar could make out the smoke wreaved spire of Hive Infernus, the teeming, stinking, man-made mountain called home by over twelve million people. People he was sworn to defend. But didn't know that he would be able to. He shrugged off such defeatist thoughts and turned as he heard a calm voice behind him. Lord Grimnar, brother Captain Aurelian, nodded. Grimnar to the new arrival. Like him, Aurelian was clad in Terminator armor. Its blue steel surfaces polished and gleaming. The gray knight carried a long, wide-bladed polearm. Its edge silver and filled with intricate scriptwork, too small even for the enhanced eyesight of a space marine to read. Engraved purity seals and devotional litanies fluttered from the shaft, and every surface of his pristine armour was decorated with heraldic iconography and carved idioms. Grimnar felt a stab of anger towards the Grey Knight. His weapon was unblooded, and though he and his warriors had arrived the night before last, they had immersed themselves in prayer instead of joining the desperate fighting on the walls. When the adepts of the Cult Mechanicus have completed their preparations, we shall take the fight to the Fallen One, said Aurelian. And how long will that be? snapped Grimnar. My people are dying here, Brother Aurelian. We do not have time to indulge every whim of your pet tech priests. I do not know, shrugged Aurelian ignoring Grimnar's aggressive tone. It will be for them to say when they are ready. The young chapter master of the space walls bunched his fists and said, Every second the Adeptus Mechanicus spends chanting doggerel and waving stinking senses over their technological witchery costs lives. Don't you understand that? We need to take the fight to the enemy now. I understand it all too well, Lord Grimnar replied Aurelian coolly, but it will avail us nothing if we attack before we are fully prepared. How many more lives will be lost if we fail because we acted in haste? Grimnar felt his anger ebb as the sense of the Grey Knight's words penetrated the haze of his anger and frustration. Thus far they had been spared the full horror of the Demon Primarch's attack, but the defeats his army had suffered on the banks of the Chiron would surely gain his attention now. And the Emperor helped them all when that happened. Do what you must then, but be ready on the attack when the beast comes at us. You are sure he will attack here? Grimnar nodded as he looked along the length of the wall and trench line before it, seeing the bone-weary troopers who manned its firing steps and guns. They wore defeat and exhaustion like a shroud. He nodded slowly. I would dirt and hand-packed earth rained down from the latest impacts of high-explosive shells as Sergeant Kohler pressed his hands against his ears and squeezed his eyes shut. He kept his mouth open to avoid the pressure wave, bursting his eardrums as he'd been taught and prayed for this nightmare to end. The ground heaved with shell impacts and the air burned with acrid propellant fumes. He smelt blood and the stench of voided bowels and bladders and gagged, pressing his back against the earth of his squad's dugout in the trench line. Men ran insane with terror, strobing silhouettes against the bright flare of explosions before being snatched away in storms of fire and steel. Kola spat dirt and blood. He reached out and gripped his lasgun tightly, knuckles white. Kola held the weapon close clutching it to his muddy flak vest like a protective talisman, and it took him long seconds to realize that the shelling had stopped. As the ringing in his ears faded, screams and desperate cries for medics replaced the shriek of incoming artillery, the sudden absence of thunderous noise, as surprising as the fact that he was still alive. The momentary elation at his survival faded as he remembered that the only reason it would have stopped would be an imminent attack. Sergeant Kohler surged to his feet, shouting, Everybody up! Get up! Get up! They're coming again! Dazed and terrified soldiers reluctantly rose from their dugouts, their eyes haunted by the carnage and horrors they had seen in this war. Things so terrible that many would never sleep again, even were they to live through this nightmare. Kola shivvied his squad members onto the trench firing step, yelling encouragement at anyone who passed by. Mangled bodies and severed limbs littered the iron duckboards of the trench, and foot-deep holes were filled with blood. Kola slung his lasgun and pressed his face to the trench periscope, extending its vision port over the lip of their defence. Rolling banks of grey-flecked smoke filled the viewer jerked and snatched by gunfire. He could hear a swelling roar of hatred and a rumbling vibration through the ground. Chunks of earth and dust rattled around him, falling from the lip of the trench as something immense drew closer. Then the smoke parted, and Kola felt his knees sank as he saw Angron's horde in horrifying clarity. Blood-red demons with thick manes of gore-streaked fur loped alongside men in tattered and bloody uniforms. The soldiers' bodies were twisted by mutations and crude symbols had been painted over their insignia, but it was clear that they had once been Imperial Guardsmen. Men, they would have called brother not so long ago. A gargantuan, clanking machine preceded them. Brass and crimson, adorned with skulls, huge spiked wheels, each larger than a battle tank, churned the ground and crushed all before it. On its back, a huge black cauldron belched choking red smoke. The hissing of white-hot metal and a huge bow wave of infernal heat preceding the war engine's advance. Kola turned to his soldiers and shouted, All guns up! Fire! Fire at will! The Imperial line erupted in a storm of las bolts and heavy weapons blasts, and the front of the Chaos Horde was instantly scythed down. Volley after volley hammered the Chaos troops, but Kola could see that it wouldn't matter. There were simply too many to kill. The war machine loomed as large as a hive spire. The deafening hissing of the thing it carried on its back, overshadowing all but the loudest weapons. Kola ducked down below the lip of the trench, ejecting a spent power cartridge from his lasgun and fumbling for another. He heard what sounded like a huge, sucking breath followed by a roaring like the howl of some ancient monster. The top of the trench disintegrated, turned molten under the fire of the war engine. Magma-hot demonic ichor spewed from the hissing cauldron, destroying everything it touched before vaporizing into the ether. Scores of bodies fell into the trench, their upper halves burned away, and the remains of their uniforms ablaze. Burned human meat and sizzling fat filled Kohler's nostrils, and he dropped to his knees, retching at its foul stench. As he gagged on the ashen remains of his fellow soldiers, he heard a thunderous detonation as the war engine activated the buried mines placed in their hundreds before the trenches. Secondary explosions within the stricken war machine hurled burning liquid all across the battlefield, splashing down in molten sheets. The earth rocked as it toppled, slamming into the ground with teeth-loosening force. Kola fell into a pool of steaming blood. Screams and screeches of agony filled the air, and Kola felt hatred like he had never known flood his heart. He rose to his feet and shouldered his lasgun, pumping shot after shot into the reeling chaos forces. The minefield had halted them in their tracks, and the survivors milled in shell-shocked confusion at its edge. Scores fell to the fire of the Imperial Guard, and Kola laughed in hysterical release, They could do it. They could win this battle. But then, the sky darkened, and roiling black clouds shot through with blood-red lightning billowed from the Chaos Horde, and a bellowing roar that froze the marrow in Kola's bones echoed across the battlefield. The beat of powerful wings parted the clouds, and Kola had a barely-perceived vision of a vast red figure crashing down to Earth with an ear-splitting boom. The creature landed heavily, thrusting out its slab-muscled chest and spreading its powerful arms wide as it roared its challenge. It carried a broad-bladed sword of dark iron, unnatural sigils blazing with unholy light. Collar sobbed as the enormous creature strode into the minefield, joined by a group of hulking monsters from his darkest nightmares. Armored in brass and covered in filthy, blood-matted fur, they carried pulsing red axes and lashing barbed whips. Kohler dropped his last gun and wept in terror, curling into a fetal ball and waiting for death as the monsters approached. The crash of brass-shod hooves, sounding like the death of worlds. Then... Kohler screamed as he felt tongues of lightning lash his body, jerking spasmodically as the fire scorched his flesh. He rattled onto his back, feeling his hair burn, and tried to make sense of what he saw before him. Flickering arcs of blue energy leapt and danced above the glassy slag of the trench top, making the air taste electric. Then, with a crack of displaced air, the lightning vanished, and in its place stood perhaps a hundred warriors in suits of burnished blue steel Terminator armor. Brother Captain Aurelian blinked rapidly, feeling the knot of tension in his gut relax as his body adjusted after the mass teleportation of his Grey Knights. He stood on the lip of a snaking trench, filled with weeping and terrified guardsmen. Ahead, he could see the smoking remains of a smashed demon engine and the explosion reaved battlefield. And striding across the cratered wasteland came Angron, demon primarch of the World Eaters, the Fallen One. A dozen of the Blood God's most favored demons surrounded Angron, and Aurelian gripped his nemesis weapon tightly, knowing that this battle would decide the fate of the world. With a pulse of thought, he ordered his warriors to advance as Angron raised his sword in mock salute. Aurelian marched forwards, the Grey Knights following in disciplined groups, their nemesis weapons held before them. Waves of bloodlust broke against them, but their souls were hardened to resist such petty evils, and not a man amongst them faltered in his stride. A slavering demon leapt into the air, its powerful wings carrying it across the battlefield in a heartbeat. It landed before Aurelian, thick ropes of bloody saliva drooling from its jaws. It swung its giant axe in a disembowelling stroke, but he swept up his force halberd, blocking the blow in a halo of bright energy. He spun his weapon and rammed the blade into the demon's belly and tore upwards, ripping a screech of pain from its jaws. Black light spilled from the wound as Aurelian pulled his weapon free and beheaded the monster with one psychically charged blow. The demon's substance vanished, dispersed like smoke in the wind, and Angron bellowed in amusement, his skin splitting and orange flames blossoming from his veins. The demon Primarch's bestial face rippled in the heat wave, and Aurelian could feel Angron's hunger to fight them. The Knights of the Corpse God, rasped the demon Primarch in recognition, the voice rumbling like a slow-moving avalanche. I shall enjoy feeding you your entrails. Aurelian did not reply. He had no wish to speak with a demon. Its words were all falsehoods, and its very presence hateful to him. Thousands of throats gave voice to a roar of bloodlust as Angron and his bloodthirsters stamped forwards, mines detonating harmlessly against their demonic armour. Through the thunder of explosions, the demons crashed into the thin Grey night line, axes flashing and whips snapping. Aurelian saw half a dozen of his warriors cut down instantly, shorn in two by shrieking demon weapons. He tore his gaze away from the battle around him as a pair of bloodthirsters charged him and his squad. He widened his stance and braced his weapon on the ground, shouting, Grey Knights, HOLD! as the first bloodthirster smashed into them. Its whip lashed out, shearing through a Terminator's armor and cleaving him from collarbone to pelvis. Aurelian lunged, jabbing his blade at the monster's head. Its axe smashed aside his blow, and a brass hoof thundered into his breastplate, buckling the ceramite and shattering the bone shield of his chest cavity. Aurelian collapsed to his knees, fighting for breath, as another of his brothers fell. Ripped apart by Angron, the pieces swallowed whole. Everywhere he looked his warriors were falling, unable to match the unimaginable ferocity of those avatars of the Blood God. Though they fought bravely, with faith and nobility, it was no match for the primal savagery of their demonic foes. But it was not a battle without cost for Angron and his demons. Fully half his retinue were little more than screeching shadows, their physical vessels put asunder by the righteous wrath of the Grey Knights. Aurelian pushed himself to his feet, wincing as he felt that one of his lungs was pierced. Angron swung his black sword in wide arcs, killing with every stroke, and his glowing musculature rippled with power. Aurelian saw that the demons closest to Angron towered above his Terminators, drawing their strength from the well of the demon Primarch. He staggered towards Angron, using his force halberd to steady himself as his breath wheezed in his chest. The Grey Knights closed on their leader, forming an impenetrable shield wall around him as they fought their way towards Angron. The Demon Primarch saw his foe approach and reared up to his full height, bellowing a furious challenge. Lesser mortals might quell before this monster. But Aurelian and the Grey Knights had been steeled to face the worst horrors of chaos without flinching. Less than two dozen of them were still alive, but they were almost there. Demons pressed in all around them, attacking in a frenzy of axe blows and lashing whips. More grey knights fell, their blood mingling on the cratered earth as Angron and Aurelian finally came face to face. At some unheard command, the Bloodfirsters pulled back, hissing with barely restrained battle lust. Time slowed. And the world held its breath as man and monster face one another. One, a devoted and loyal servant of the divine emperor of mankind. The other, the basest traitor who had trampled on his oaths of loyalty and embraced ultimate evil. You cannot win, Aurelian, hissed Angron, planting his sword in the ground before him. Aurelian spun his force halberd, assuming a relaxed fighting stance, and pointed the blade at the demon Primarch's heart you underestimate me traitor perhaps when i was one of your emperor's chosen and i cannot be defeated you know it. this aurelian i can see it plain as day why must you fight and die here for a rotted corpse on a planet you have never seen because i must said aurelian simply thrusting his weapon towards angron the demon primarch laughed and batted away the force weapon scalding steam rising from his iron skin his clawed wings pounded the air as he fought swirling dust and smoke around the combatants aurelian blocked a blow meant to remove his head feeling the jarring impact numb his arm to the elbow and ducked the reverse stroke he spun inside angron's guard and slashed his blade across his foe's flank drawing a bellow of pain and a wash of hot Black blood. Angron smashed a club-like fist down on Aurelian's shoulder, driving him to the ground and tearing his helmet from his head. Lights exploded before Aurelian's eyes, but he saw the blow that would kill him arcing towards his head and threw up his weapon to block it. Angron's sword sheared through the haft of his force halberd and hacked through his arm in a shower of sparks and blood. The Grey Knight tumbled backwards, blood pouring from his arm. But miraculously still alive. Aurelian climbed to his feet, his armor torn open in a dozen places, but his stance still defiant. Blood was flooding from his body, too much for even the Larriman cells to halt. He could see his men were fighting bravely, but were falling one by one. Before long, they would all be dead. That they may die was unimportant, but they must not fail in their duty. Brothers, defensive circle, shouted Aurelian though it sent hot spikes of pain through his chest. The few surviving Grey Knights fought their way towards him, forming a circle about their wounded leader. Aurelian focused all of his hatred of the fallen one until it was an incandescent power that burned within him and threatened to consume his flesh unless released. His battle brothers felt the power building within him and understanding the finality of such powerful psychic energy began doing likewise. Angron roared, clearly sensing the build-up of their power. But Eva did not care, or in his arrogance, believed himself too powerful to be harmed by it. He charged towards Aurelian, bellowing in fury. Aurelian felt the power of his fellow warriors pulse through him and released it in a fiery corona of psychic energy. He screamed as the colossal forces racked his shattered body, feeling the life energies of three of his battle-brothers fade as the power consumed them. The bloodthirsters screeched in rage as the power of the Grey Knight's faith hit them like a tidal wave, two bursting apart in an explosion of black ichor, Angron roared in pain, and Aurelian watched as the furnace glow of his body diminished. The demon Primarch dropped to his knees, thick blood drooling from his slack features. The grey knight next to Aurelian fell, his body little more than a shriveled sack of bones within his armor. As Aurelian watched, Angron's form grew less solid, less real, as though his hold on the material realm was slipping, even as he formed the thought. The demon Primarch's flesh began re knitting as his iron will held his form solid. Aurelian, Knew he would never get a better chance than this, and lurched forward, gripping his force halberd by its splintered haft like a sword. Angron lifted his bestial face in time to see Aurelian lift up his sword and drive it deep within his chest. Fat, red sparks flew as the blade plunged into the demon Primarch's body, and his roar of pain split the earth apart all around him. Aurelian drew upon the depths of his courage and unleashed his last reserves of strength and faith through the Force weapon in a blazing spear of purity. He rejoiced as he felt Angron's substance dissolving and knew that he had defeated the monster. He pushed the blade deeper and grunted in sudden pain as Angron's sword plunged into his belly and tore upwards, ripping through his heart and lungs. He coughed blood, spattering the demon's burning features and feeling his own killing power ravaging him through the demon's blade. Mangron sneered mockingly. If we are to die, we will die together, Aurelian. I will be reborn in the warp, but your spirit flesh will be devoured by demons for all eternity, and you will know any mortality of agony. So be it! shouted Aurelian, and fulfilled his duty. Logan Grimnar watched the Ten Grey Knights kneel in prayer around the fallen body of their captain and bowed his head in respect. The battlefield was eerily quiet, the demons having vanished like morning mist upon the destruction of Angron's physical form, and the traitors, cultists, and mutants falling back in disarray. A shaft of golden sunlight broke through the oppressive cloud layer, and Grimlar felt a sudden surge of optimism as he watched his space wolves mount up in their rhinos to begin the pursuit and destruction of the enemy. Mud and blood, Kate Guardsman, began clambering dazedly from their trenches, their faces lined with exhaustion and fear. A soldier, drenched in blood and black ichor from head to foot, staggered from the trench and dropped weeping to his haunches. They <laughs> won, he sobbed in relief. I can't believe they did it. Grimnar looked down at the man, seeing his sergeant's stripes through the blood on his upper arm. The name Collar was stitched above it. Aye, he said slowly. They destroyed the beast, but at what cost? The sergeant looked up, uncomprehending as the chapter master of the space wolves continued. A noble warrior of the Emperor felt this day, Sergeant Collar and you will never see a greater display of heroism, said Logan Grimnar. Remember what you have seen here today. I will, nodded Kola. But Logan Grimnar had already turned and marched away. With their leader dead, the Chaos Hordes fell into disorder. The remnants of the Force repulsed at the River Cheron retreated completely as they were counter-attacked by the Space Wolves, Pursued across the ash wastes by the combined forces of the space marines and the mechanised Imperial Guard steel legions, thousands of cultists, mutants and traitors were slaughtered without mercy. Bereft of their demonic allies, those invaders who did not fall as they crossed the polluted wastes were overtaken at the Minos Bridge. No quarter was offered and their bodies were cast into the river Minos and their corpses set alight turning it into a funeral pyre visible for hundreds of miles in all directions. The remains of the invaders drifted west to fall within the putrid depths of the Plague Marshes, which remains a region of palpable fear and corruption to this day. The Imperium had prevailed, though virtually all of Armageddon Prime's industrial infrastructure had been destroyed and the death toll was beyond measure. Though Angron's forces were vanquished, his monolith still stood a beacon of inviolable evil in the heart of the equatorial jungle, and its malign influence is as strong today as it ever was. With Angron and his hordes defeated, the administratum ruthlessly suppressed all information regarding the invasion. To allow the truth of what had occurred on Armageddon to be discovered would be to confirm the very worst fears of the superstitious peoples of the Imperium. Better they be kept in ignorance, the Adepts reasoned, then be forced to face the realisation that mankind faced such a diabolical threat. The purge of the records began, but no amount of historical revision could erase the enormity of the events of Angron's invasion from the survivors. Any other world would have been put to death by the rights of Exterminatus, without hesitation, but Armageddon was far too important to the Imperium's industrial machine to be sacrificed in such a way. Instead, the Administratum and the Inquisition set in motion a plan that would allow the planet's industrial capacity to recover without the truth of the conflict becoming known. Every man, woman and child who had fought against Angron's horde was rounded up by troops drafted in from other war zones. Sterilised and relocated to enormous forced labour camps, situated far to the south of Armageddon Secundus. Millions were forced to live out the remainder of their lives in slavery, producing the raw materials with which the world they had given everything to defend would be rebuilt. With the hive cities all but empty, and only the highest and mightiest exempted from the cult, The Administratum relocated millions of workers from faraway sectors to Armageddon to replace those who had looked upon the face of chaos and lived. Only one man dared protest against this ultimate sanction, this most craven of betrayals. Logan Grimnar, Great Wolf of the Space Wolves chapter, made his opposition plain, and privately, many agreed with him. Though he could not sway the faceless adepts of the Administratum, he has never forgiven them. Nor has he ever forgotten the sacrifice of those who were by his side during the darkest days of the first war for Armageddon. And there we go. A harsh ending to a glorious tale. <laughs> I remember this. I remember reading this when I was quite young because this is one of kind of the more, more extant pieces of lore that was out there. It's, like, it's probably one of the first campaign-y type things I've ever read where you get like a full sequence of events and stuff like that. Because even the second war for Armageddon wasn't this thought like... I guess it was. I don't know. I'm just, ma- I'm just making things up. Great story, great thing. Adds depth to the Grey Knights. And this, actually, this is one of the things. It was one of the first times we'd heard of the Grey Knights. Because when, like... I, mean, I don't think the Grey Knights even came into existence as, like, models and stuff. Until, like, 2005, maybe? I mean, maybe it was a little bit earlier than that. But when I got into it, the Grey Knights were just this, this myth within the lore. I think there was one... There's a couple of models, but they've been out of production for like 15, 20 years at the time. I don't know. Anyway, good stuff, great story. Hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to support the channel, please consider becoming a channel member or a patron on Patreon or uh, a Subscribestar subscriber person. I don't know. If you do that, you'll get your name added to this list of glorious heroes as it swirls by now. And thank you, lads, for everybody who does support the channel. Really appreciate it. I'll be back with more stuff very, very soon. I'm working on some very big things and some small things. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm just continuously working on stuff. And I appreciate your continued support. Do let me know in the comments what you thought of this. That really helps. Subscribe if you're not subscribed. And please do like the video. That all really, really helps. I really appreciate it. I'll be back again with more stuff soon. Have a good one. See you later. May the Emperor protect. I guess. I don't know. Bye-bye.